Hello, everybody, and welcome to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's guest, Tex Gresham, he was recommended to me by Dan Eastman. If you liked that episode, you'll like this one, and if you like this one, go back and listen to that one. Tex Gresham is the author of Sunflower, Easy Rider 2, Sleazy Drivers with Kurt, This is Strange June, and Heck Texas. He is an award-winning screenwriter, and his debut feature, Mustard, is available for free on his website squeakypig.com. He lives in Los Angeles, and his most recent book, Violent Candy, is out now from House of Lad Press. And just a just a quick note before we get started proper, um, there was some sort of weird distortion that was happening uh, during the recording. We tried to change microphones and we wiggled cables and, and we couldn't really quite nail it down. Uh, and I did what I could to suppress it as much as I could in post, but sometimes these things just can't be avoided, especially when you're recording over the internet. I don't think it's too, too distracting, but I thought I'd mention it just so you know that I'm aware of it and that I did what I could to make it better. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. For just two bucks a month, you get these shows a little bit before everybody else does. You can also toss me a one-time donation over at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe, or you can buy my book, It's Called Tired, and it's pretty darn good. And if you don't have any money to spend, talk about the show on social media, rate the show where you listen to it, tell a friend about it, that sort of thing. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Tex. start out with Violent Candy, the the new book that came out, is coming out today. It, the the, the copyright page on the book says October of this year, I think. So is it out-out as of the It's out-out. There was a... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As of, uh, as of now, it's out. It's actually been out for a month. There was an accidental publication of it uh, in September. Mm. In September. On September, like, 25th. Um, Brian was going over it and was ordering something and accidentally hit the publish button. And then we were like, oh, well, <laughs> and we just did it. We went with it. And um, uh, so, yeah, it's out. Cool. Uh, I dig it. I There were. There were some stories in it that. Um, were were really quite bizarre. Um and and then others that were a little bit more grounded but there was this sort of feeling of dark comedy to it um and a lot of uh sort of like domesticity type of type of things and looking at the acknowledgments in the back of the book some of these stories are as old as 2018 um such as the nature of i think writing a short story collection um, but talk a little bit about how Violent Candy came together. Um, it was, uh, I kind of, you know, there's the, the Lillo thing of like, find your obsession or whatever. I forget who said it exactly. I want to say it's the Lillo and I'll just, um, I'll just say everything's the Lillo, but <laughs> you know, it was a find your obsession thing because if you look at the Lillo's books, he's writing about the same thing every book. Uh, he's just doing it in different ways. And I just kind of like over the years writing stuff, doing short stories, doing this, that, and the other thing. And 
I, I kind of like realized that there was a through line between all these stories um, that were in this uh, collection. There's two that aren't, there's three that aren't, um, uh, that were cut. Um, and they, they still have the through line, but I think they were just cut for, for time, for strength and for, um, space. But, um, but yeah, I just kind of, uh, I, I kind of realized that there was this like singular thing that I was talking about and was like trying to wrestle with myself and it's like, uh, and, and, and all the stories, all these stories that I've collected in here, I was like, I didn't fully realize that I was having this conversation the whole time. And, uh, when I, you know, when I put it together and when I realized, you know, what, what sort of my obsession is, then, then they all just kind of fell together. There's, there's a bunch of stuff that like wouldn't fit in here and I have no place for them. You know, they're just out there either online or they're not in any, you know, cause there's some in here that weren't published, you know, that are just brand new to this that I've been holding on to for a while. And, and there's a bunch that are, that I've been holding on to for a while that wouldn't fit in here. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, I found the obsession and, and, and I recognized it and I kind of like put it all together and, and, um, yeah, that, that would be, I, that's, I guess that's how it came together. Sure. So, okay. So you mentioned this obsession, um, define it, define it for me. Um, because like, I think I, I think I get it. Um, but like, I like to define our terms. So like, w w can you even name like what exactly it was that you were obsessed with as you were doing this? Yeah, it's sort of like, um, it's the, it's the idea that like, you know, um, that you could, you could think your life is going great and it could change on, on a dime in the worst way or the best way or whatever way. And even if you think it's the best way, it's actually the worst way, but it's sort of the changing of life in an instant. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and sort of the fact that the trajectory you were on is now completely different and you have to figure out a new way. Um, it's, you know, taking out, uh, taking yourself out of comfort, uh, uh, you know, um, and you know, the, it, it's, it's the sort of like the violence that occurs to your life, to your path. Right. And, yeah. uh, uh, it, you know, that could be, you know, uh, it could happen often or it could happen never, or it could happen once. And, you know, these are all, all these stories are moments where it's like, the most sort of aggressively changing thing for all these people, uh, you know, um, and, uh, it's sort of the, the isolation, the solitude of, of having to go through those changes, um, and having to experience those changes. Uh, that's, that's, I guess that's what the obsession is. Yeah. Um, I remember, I've been sort of thinking about that sort of like wild human fragility uh, for, a yeah. little, for a little bit. Um, and whenever I try to write about it, 
in a sort of nonfiction way. I always come back to Spring Breakers. Where, mm-hmm. where spoilers for Spring Breakers, I guess. Um, at the end, they go to raid Gucci Mane's house, and like immediately, James Franco's character just gets shot and dies. Um, mm-hmm. and like a complete tonal kind of like surprise from what you might expect. Um, I mean, it's kind of telegraphed that his character is like incompetent beyond Mm -hmm. (laughs) beyond where he even is but just like movie logic dictates that like this shouldn't shouldn't have been the way it is um yeah right and and colors the rest of the scene um the the first story iris um that sort of like violent life change happens like several times in rapid succession too where mm-hmm. um you know she's her life is irrevocably changed but uh for definitely the worst but also maybe saved uh in the same way um and then relationship things that that are sort of implied there too it was it's a very strong start to this collection i think Thanks. Yeah. I I love movies where that happens, right? Uh, Spring Breakers. I love um, uh, Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The the William Friedkin movie. Spoiler alert. Uh, You know, I always feel like spoiler alert only exists for movies that came out like within the last like two or three years. If it came out in the 80s, you haven't seen it yet. Sorry, you're going to get it spoiled. But to live and die in LA, the main character that you're focusing on just gets blasted in the face with a shotgun in the most crucial moment of the movie in the most weak way. And, and, and that's it. And then you have to finish the movie with someone else. And it's not even like facing the main bad guy either. It's like this sort of side, sort of kind of important scene, just dead. And then you finish the movie with someone else and, and everything happens. Right. And it's like, uh that's like one of my favorite bits you know of course uncut gems the ending of that is you know it all leads up to that that's like the punchline of the movie but it's like so it happens so late that you're not expecting it to happen you know even though it it it's it's going there right um so i i i really like those i i love movies where you know, either at the halfway mark, something just dramatically changes and shifts the entire color of the movie, or, you know, at a point unknown to you, something happens to where the movie just absolutely shifts and you got to catch up. You know, Barbarian is like Mm -hmm. the most recent example of that, you know, Um, but I like that. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. Don't Breathe does that too. Um, it's like let's oh yeah let's go rob this old guy's house oh no oh no yeah what is he up to um what does he have in the basement there yeah um, yes yeah i forgot about that that's a good one yeah there's there's something to stories that like um you know have a have a flattening effect i think Mm -hmm. um but the world is just way 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 more complex 
than mm-hmm. than you can say in a story and so you have uh when you have a story that sort of acknowledges that um it's it it feels so strange i feel like um uh in the rough does that in in a sort of more familiar way um where you just have a guy who's working a job and it turns out or it doesn't turn out it's implied it's suggested he thinks that that maybe maybe this job is is something completely different um you know it's like telling the story from the perspective of like someone who works at a laundromat that's you know like one of the stories that that one of the stores that walter white buys as a as a front yeah yeah um well, that that one that one's as close to like you know what if you want to whatever auto fiction you want to call auto fiction these days. Uh, mm. That's about as close as I'll get. I think uh, uh, I don't think I'll get closer than that. But that's as close uh, to sort of like translating almost moment for moment real life for me uh, in in writing. Uh, the only time I'll ever do that is if I were to like write a nonfiction book about, you know, uh, something, you know, I, I have a nonfiction book about movies and film festivals that I've been working on for a long time that I doubt I'll ever finish, but we'll see what happens. But, you know, that's like, you know, that's obviously like more diary, you know, kind of thing, but in the rough, yeah, that's, that's as close to the, the, the auto fiction as I'll as I'll as I'll get. Oh, well, that's fascinating. So, um, that, that makes worked at a golf course. Uh, yeah, worked at a golf course. They found a dead guy. There was he'd been bitten by snakes. There was a weird, you know. It's all, it's all, you know. Of course, I was, you know, at that time I was constantly stoned at work, mm. uh, and 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 so you know my mind at the time was like you know connecting dots that maybe weren't there but you know this is this is sort of those dots seen through me older and and different and no longer that guy so yeah Ooh. well i'm glad that lovebird isn't the the auto fiction one so maybe it's not not yet no, it's not yeah, not yet. We'll see when I get there. We'll see when I get to the retirement home. Uh, I might be at that stage by then. Who knows? Um, you know, I'm yeah. I'm thinking about it now. Just bringing up in the rough and lovebird, and then thinking about um, trauma novel. There's there's kind of a running theme of that, like, um, or maybe not even theme, but just idea of uh, the sort of nefarious world behind our world um eyes wise shut is is a movie that that a character becomes obsessed with and in love bird when the when all the orderlies go home at the old folks home it turns into some sort of weird uh tijuana sort of sort of something or other um and and yeah i mean that's that's a i don't know if you would call that a trope or what uh, that I find particularly interesting um, as well. 
Yeah, I think it's I, I, trope. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's it's sort of like I don't know. I think it's like a paint. You know, it's like a it's like a paint you use uh, to sort of lay down a base on a story. You know, or like a, a concept. Like the like you know you you lacquer a canvas first. It's like you're gonna put that. Hey, everything underneath here is not cool, and then let me paint some bits underneath it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just. And that, that, I don't know, for me, that's just a byproduct of, I, I see almost nothing as like not weird or bad in that, like, I see a commercial, I go, what are they really pushing here? You know, I see Twitter, I go, what's Twitter really about, right? Mm. That's that's just like, I don't know, that's kind of, you know, and I, and I feel like that's common. And I feel like to a degree, that's, you know, that's like just a natural sort of normal state we're in, you know, I, I think there's a, you know, when you get too far into it, you get into the tin, tin foil hat stuff. But I just have a general distrust of like, legitimately everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. And it like takes me a while to get into not distrusting something or, or believing something or believing someone, um, you know, uh, and yeah. So I, I think that's like when I see stories going in that direction, I go, ah, you know, like something I'm reading or a movie I'm watching. I'm like, yes. Okay, great. You know? Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's kind of, you know, it's the, it's the blue velvet, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing, you know? Uh, yeah. Peel back the layers kind of, right narrative you know where you you as the viewer or the reader are responsible for peeling back the layers and and like defining something outside of just what you're reading you know right yeah i i think i'm trying i'm trying to grapple with with whether or not i want to say i wish the world was more like that or what um because i i guess i probably don't i there's uh there's a saying I've heard that the the world is run by C students. And so like, I don't believe that there's an eyes wide shut sort of situation going on with, with all the richest people. Like I imagine that they have parties and that like, you know, untoward things go on at those parties. But like, I don't believe that there's secret passwords and Venetian masks and, um, yeah and stuff like that right like i think you know the freemasons have had that for a while certainly and probably like other other orders golden dawn and the rosicrucians probably probably had like weird fun religious oh for sure but like it feels impossible to imagine that like in florida at, at like the state government in the basement that all those guys are doing like silly weird sex things at each other oh yeah definitely like there's no way yeah there's there's no way i think that's just something that people like i believe that like there are things that are sinister happening that people are manipulating people and things like that but i do not think it's like that what you're saying like there's this mass like controlling force or there's like you know whatever uh, you know when i say controlling i mean when someone puts out a product and the commercial they're showing what they're really telling you is that you're not good enough you mm-hmm. know that's what i mean like yeah. the subliminal 
versus like, you know, the guided, uh, there's someone, we're all chess pieces and, and this one family is controlling all of it. I'm like, that's an easy response to society. That's an easy response to life and reality. And I think, uh, I think, uh, I think it's really hard for people to grasp that, you know, uh, society, life, culture, whatever is really just a bunch of people running into each other and bouncing off and moving. And it's, it's just chaos, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, and I think people get, get afraid of chaos. And so they, they find order in order to feel comfort. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's somehow more comforting to imagine that someone is intentionally making the world this shitty, um, as opposed to the idea that like, nobody is trying very hard at all one way or the other and so it's just kind of shitty by default yeah yeah shitty by default i think is exactly it yeah that'll be my yeah. midwest emo band uh shitty by default that that legitimately sounds like something yep coming to a, a like basement would... show near you yeah um that's fantastic um but it actually turns out to be the best band in the lineup mm right shitty by default is the best band in the lineup everybody's trying really hard and the the musicianship is just there Uh Um, let's let's talk about mustard a little bit i i didn't know what to expect i remember seeing you posting about it on twitter and being excited and just not occasioning to to see it until until now and you know it's no secret that um part of the reason this show exists is to force me to to interact with the art of my peers in (laughs) in a meaningful way um yeah to to carve out the time on purpose um and so i didn't really know what to expect and then you know afterward i was like looking at your bio and learning learning more about your professional experience and stuff like that, which, which kind of informed some of the things I was seeing, um, visually. Um, but yeah, kind of, uh, in the same way that we talked about, uh, you know, how violent candy came about, I'm interested in how mustard came about too. Um, mustard came about, so it was it was sort of a reverse engineering of the whole thing uh is that i made that demon team sort of middle bit mm-hmm. i made that whole thing i had that in my head for uh i don't know i started it in like 2008 or whatever and uh i was like i'm gonna make this and i'm gonna submit it to adult swim mm. and uh i made most of it and i um I just never finished it and I lost interest and then I lost that hard drive and it was gone. But it had always been that thing where I was like, Oh, I want to go back and revisit that because that was actually a good idea. And then I made it, you know, I asked people, Hey, do a voice. Hey, do a voice. Cause then a lot of people like gave me voices and did stuff and, you know, I put it together. And uh, when I watched it, I was like, this is actually really stupid. (laughs) Uh, Like really, really dumb. And like, uh, it is not at all like the kind of thing that I would, I don't know. I don't think I would go, Hey, check this out. This is my best work, you know? Um, 
And then after, uh, you know, I just kind of, I was talking with my friends who, who, you know, my childhood friends, um, who, um, the guy at the end of the movie that I'm showing it to. And he's like, you know, I'm like, what'd you think? And he's like, you know, I don't like it, you know? <laughs> um, but I was showing, I would, I showed them and I was like, uh, I was like, let's, let's do this bit. Right. Um, and so everything, at, it was just going to be demon team and then everything after, uh, and that was all I was going to do. Um, and it wasn't going to make sense the after at all. It was, it was just going to be completely like what, you know? Um, and then, uh, I was like, well, I got to have something before this. So, uh, and then I just started like, you know, coming up with like, well, who is this person, right? Who is this like sad guy who thinks this demon team thing is like the best thing he could do and be really proud of it. And it's actually garbage. Um, and then I realized that guy isn't that far from me. Mm. So, uh, I, you know, because it was me, you know, it's like, this is, you know, it's like, it isn't me, but it is me, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it's like a really, I don't know, a, a more sad version, a more pathetic version of me. Uh, um, and so I just kind of like reverse engineered what leads up to this. What are the things that would make me laugh that, that caused this guy problems and caused this guy to be, you know, uh, sad and what kind of life does this person have and what kind of like, you know, um, and, and it was, you know, it's informed by what I'm doing and what I was doing. You know, I'm working for, I work for, for people, right. For people. I was doing messenger work across the city at the time and it was great. I loved it. Um, cause I got to see a lot of stuff, but you know, at the same time, it was like, I was really bored and I didn't have time to do anything else. And so, but I made this whole thing while I was doing that. Um, right. and, uh, yeah, that's just, that's, it, it, there was, there was only like three scenes that were written in script form. The rest was just made up and went with and all that stuff. Hmm. Okay. Um, I like that. I, yeah. there, there was something really, I don't know. Uh, there's something about it, right? There's, there's something to it. I guess, I guess the fact or the thing is that it, it feels indescribable um and and maybe it being kind of reverse engineered like that is, is part of what does that um i remember reading something um from like a faculty page when you were doing like a visiting professorship somewhere um mm -hmm. talking about how you like narratives that make people uncomfortable or like non-traditional narratives um and I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I kind of felt like there were some hints in the film as well. Like there's a shot where you have a big inherent vice poster or where you're just chugging away at a vape pen watching a John Waters movie. And so I, like, as I was watching it, I was like taking kind of taking those hints in and being like, okay, so what is what is it that's going on right like narrative or not narratively i guess but like what is it you're trying to to make me feel um bored that's kind of what i you know 
that's the opening quote. Yeah, that's true. Existence is an exercise in boredom, you know, and it's like, um, you know, I don't know. It was like a, a for me, it was a triple layer thing. It was like the film, I, you know, it's okay to be bored with the movie because it's boring. Right. And I kind of wanted it to be boring, but it's also the person's life in the film is boring. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, you know, I feel like I get bored with a lot of stuff, you know? And so I was like, well, let's, let's go full in on boring. You know, the boring was like my sort of driving identity for, you know, the time a little bit before, while I was making that and a little after, I was like, I'm just really bored with everything. Mm. And so I was like, let's make the most boring thing I can. And then, you know, the, the demon team thing is like this promise of something exciting. You know, he's working on this thing. He's got this thing. It's going to be great. And it turns out, you know, some people like it and all that stuff. But like, to me, it's it's not good, right? It's not right. really that good, right? It's not as exciting as, it, as, as the whole thing leads up to, right? So it's like, um, I don't know. It's almost the equivalent of like going through the motions of life and you're excited about this movie coming out and then you go see the movie and it's like just terrible or just real mid or whatever, yeah. right? And it's just not good. Uh, and then it's like this sort of, well, that sucked. My life's over now, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Um, that I th- And I think a lot of people, especially like huge, like real deep cinephiles and like people who get like real obsessive with movies and stuff. Like I love movies. I'm obsessed with them, but like, I don't at all have the thing where it's like I'm anticipating the new Christopher Nolan movie coming out or the new whatever movie. I get excited about movies coming out, but I don't go, "Ooh, I'm so I'm so excited and I like think about it every day and I'm like this movie, this movie." And then when I go see it in the movie theater and it doesn't meet my expectations, I'm like, you know, suicidally depressed about it after, right? Right. Uh, and I think there's a whole subgenre of, of cinephiles who are like that and that's you know that's also that's who the guy in the movie is i guess Mm -hmm. yeah there's i kind of feel like the the marvel disney uh business strategy is to kind of cultivate that Um, Mm -hmm. where it's like i'm really excited about this movie because it's going to give me good clues for the next movie uh which yeah which is what was so exhausting for me <laughs> because I was like, yeah. oh, I just want to watch, I just want to watch a good movie. Just give me one good movie and then take, take the money. Um, yeah. Give yeah. me a story. I can close the book, the cover on at the end and be like, ah, oh, right. You know? Yeah. Don't uh, leave me open for something else or tell me you'll get the rest of this when this other movie comes out. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I was really delighted that, uh, to see him like cry tears of relief and joy when he finished working on demon team and then to get to see it and be like, Oh, it's just bad. C lab 2021. Um, yeah. And (laughs) I was like, Oh, Oh man, it's his big project, a YouTube poop. And then it was even less, um, you know less than that yeah yeah Um, (laughs) yeah crying tears of joy uh 
at that, you know? Um, and I think that's like, you know, that's, that's almost how I felt finishing mustard is like, mm. I was like, Oh my God, I did this thing that I've been wanting to do my entire life, which was make a movie. And I made this thing and it's like, you watch it and you're like, this is the result, you know? Mm. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's sort of like the prey, the prey, believing yourself to be making not bad art, but in fact, you're making very bad art, but you're treating, you're making bad art. You're unaware that you're treating this thing that's, you're unaware of being bad art as if it's like some next huge thing for you, some next steps and like big breakthrough in your life. And uh, yeah. It, there's almost like this thing where after finishing mustard, you know, I was like, Oh my God, I made a movie, you know, I made a movie thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I made a movie. I don't like to call it a movie because it's not to me. It's just like a long video almost, you know, Sure. but it, it's, it's a movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I made this thing. Uh, but then in reality, what it is is I go, Oh, okay. I made that thing. Cool. And then you move on. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not like the big thing that makes you, that changes your life or that makes you feel something that you anticipated it making you feel in some way, shape or form. Right. Do you, do you find yourself more, more satisfied, I guess, like doing the making of something like doing the writing, um, than you are with whatever the, the final product ends up being. Yeah, I think so. I like making uh, more than I like presenting, I think, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, in the presenting aspect, you kind of rely on other people to watch it and to respond to it. And then when people respond to it in a good way, you're like, cool. And then when they respond to it in a bad way, you're like, fuck you, you're wrong. And like, you know, it to, to a degree, you know, the only thing putting stuff out and I, I'm grateful for everything I have put out, right? Like I, I'm, so um, I can't believe I have uh, even just like one thing out in the world, let alone many. But I think there's there's a degree where you have to, you know, where you just I've learned to to a degree. I'm still victim of my own, you know, ego and vanity and all that stuff. But I think you you go you put stuff out. It's not yours anymore. It's everyone else's. And when people don't like it, whatever. Right. You know, we always people talk shit about critics, you know, they say people who can't do become critics. Right. And, uh, you know, I think it's like, at what point have we gone, you know, Oh, this critic is the absolute be all end all of every kind of knowledge that we have on these things. And what they say is true. Absolutely. And it's like, you just kind of, I don't know, realize that that's the case. And so once something is out there, and it's in the hands of people and critics and people who think they're critics and people who think that their you know opinion on something is worth sharing to others and and all that stuff uh that's when it's like it's no longer mine i can't even really pay attention to it you know mm -hmm. like i'm i'm always if someone goes hey love your book i'm like sweet cool good deal love it i appreciate that right i don't ever really know what to say uh other than thank you you know um sure and, and, and I think, uh, working on something is like, that's just for me. And that's like, that's where the joy comes in. Whereas the other end of it, it becomes some kind of navigation, uh, 
um, and and self-promotion, you know, of like, hey, watch my movie or read my book or whatever. And it's like you're begging people to do something and that's fine. But it's just kind of like we're we're also inundated with stuff all the time that like. I get it that no one wants to watch this thing or read this thing. So why am I going to harp on it if I can't even be, you know, everyone was talking about Oppenheimer and Barbie and it's like, I didn't go see those movies. I love movies and I didn't go see those. Right. Mm -hmm. I usually wait for things to come to me, you know, mm -hmm. to see them. I'll rent them. Um, and so, yeah, it's like be doing is the thing that's exciting and fun putting it out there, having it out there is the thing that feels mysterious and almost pointless. And like, um, you know, there's no, um, there's no map, you know, there's no guide, there's nothing. You just kind of like, you put thing out into the world and then you flail, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there's people that, you know, they put stuff out into the world and it's like, everyone responds instantly. They're like, love this. And it's like, thousands of tweets every day about something you know but unless you're that person and who knows how to be that person you know what is it yeah for sure i it occurred to me and this might be because my work is uh is a bit more on the experimental end usually but i enjoy when people read my stuff so i can figure out what it is um i get that um I like it when someone says, oh, this this was like this. And I say, oh, great. I will have to cool. watch that movie then. <laughs> I'll have to read that book so I can tell if you're right yeah. or not. Um, but yeah, like you can always tell when I'm trying to submit stuff around because my tweets are very uh, grumpy because I like I hate that part so much um, that like it's just there's so much about it that like in the infrastructure of how especially in our writing ecosystem the infrastructure of submitting stuff is getting better um you have you have some sites popping up um that are making things easier but um god back in 2016 2017 when i was really trying hard to like submit flash fiction around it was so frustrating every website had their own different way of how they wanted cover letters and different word count things and then you know then you wait for eight months and then they send you a one-line email back even yes or no and it's just like oh okay oh i guess that's great then um move cool. on to the next thing um and then yeah especially when no one knows who you are when you know you can hope to maybe have a couple retweets and hope that those people also read the thing. Um, certainly writing must be, I guess for the character in, in mustard, like his thing is that he's trying to be a script writer TM, right? Mm -hmm. He's trying to, to like be the guy, um, mm -hmm. which I don't blame, right? Like, especially if you're, if you've gone to school for something and you want that to be your job you know it took me it took me eight years from from graduating with a broadcasting degree to get a full-time degree in broadcasting so like i totally understand somebody who 
goes to school for script writing and then pops out of it and then moves to the most expensive place in the country to live um like really be striving to be able to justify all of that um but it does seem like that would make it hard to do everything in between yeah um well and and, you know it's like you know i did those you know i'm that's you know that's why it's not it's not you know it's partially my life because it's like i did that but like i am working for i i was doing work i was writing things so it's like i'm not like i'm not the screenwriter guy but i've got you know i'm doing work and stuff like that so it's like Mm -hmm. uh you know it it it's not uh yeah i'll say i'm here i'm making a uh, you know, I'm making a comfortable living. I'm able to live. I'm able to survive. I'm able to go do things I want to do. You know, it's so the difference is, you know, is like, yeah, I couldn't imagine being someone who doesn't have those kinds of things. Isn't that kind of thing, you know, like, I, I don't know that I would, I would, I probably wouldn't be here uh, uh, in the city. I'd probably be moving back with my parents if I didn't have some opportunity or something like that, you know, some kind of thing. Um, but you know because uh, trying to navigate that unknown you know the the like please please love me aspect mm-hmm. that it that is you know submitting and putting work out there or trying to be a screenwriter or whatever is like i don't know i you know i don't know very many people who are quality at that you know who who can do that effectively it takes a certain type of person to do it without a seeming like super sad or desperate b seeming toxic or c seeming aggro you know or Mm -hmm. whatever right and it's like um you know uh because i feel like in in a lot of ways who you are matters more at large when it comes to this kind of stuff than what you do and what what sort of talent or product you have um and if you're you know complaining all the time or doing whatever people get annoyed at that shit and they move on they don't listen to you you know or if you're aggro all the time and you're talking shit about people no one's going to talk to you you know or if you're like being desperate and begging for people to look at this and do this and do this and do this then people are like you're annoying the shit out of me and they don't you know care about what you do but you could be you could have written the greatest book uh, of the 21st century you know it, it could be the greatest document of humankind but if if you're not nice and i mean that like in like a big sort of thematic way if you're not nice no one cares and that's sort of like you know um yeah i think that's the that's the biggest thing for me the hardest thing to sort of like grapple with you know yeah i think that's super i think that's super important yeah that's um i couldn't have said it better myself i am curious what the the day-to-day the nuts and bolts of um moving out to la and trying to get work as a writer actually looks like right like 
I took a script. I took one script writing class in college. Um, and so like, I understand how to make what I'm writing look like a script. Um, but if I finished one, I'd have no idea what to do with it. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's, it's a lot of things require you to, you know, there are fellowships to enter. Right. And those are like the things that like, if you get distance in these like bigger fellowships, you get people to like, you, you get people who go, okay, this person has uh, an ability to some degree. And then you can talk to people or you just make friends with other people or, you know, um, you know, you just, you say yes to everything really, you know, um, um, I said yes to one project that led to me being asked. I said yes to a project to these two guys that led to, uh, that I turned it around so fast for them that they then hired me to do that Callista protocol thing, hmm. uh, which I turned around really fast. You know, we worked on it. It was like two months to write six episodes of something from start to finish, like introduction, completion, two months kind of thing where we were like every week, it was like, here, write these three episodes. And then we're, you know, it was like, it was a lot of work. And then which led to them giving me work for a bigger, a bigger project, hmm. you know? And it's like, uh, if I would have said no to the first project, which I would have said no, maybe five years ago to, hmm. um, then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, you know, doing able to, exist as I am now. Right. So it's like, you kind of got to say yes to stuff you don't want to do. And then most of the time that works to your favor and you work up, you work kind of into something you maybe want to do or is closer to, or you, you know, you get, you know, more pay or more responsibility and, you know, um, uh, you know, it also doesn't hurt to, to have, uh, work out in the world that people can see, you know, um, if you have books or stories or whatever, and people have, people have put their faith in you, then other people will notice that, you know, if you're just going out here and someone's like, what have you done? And you're like, well, I have a script written, which by the way, having a script written, you're, you're ahead of about 90% of people who live in LA and say they're screenwriters. Mm. Uh, a lot of people who live in LA and say they're screenwriters don't have a script. Wow. You know, uh, um, they're oh. just, they just think they are that person. Yeah. Oh, that gives you know? me such anxiety. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you have a script written, you know, you have something, you, you have more than others. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm teaching right now. So that's like, you know, my main source of income, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm always navigating things. I'm always trying to, I'm, I'm working on something right now that, that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm working on, you know, two or three things right now. One of them is something that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get some money for to, to, to film. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. Um, it's, you know, it's a short, but it, it's the, 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 the money aspect of it is it does not feel like short money. It feels like real money. And I'm mm -hmm. like, holy shit, uh, if this happens, that would be, uh, unreal but it's with you know it's with a it's with people and with a company that in, in uh, five years ago i would have been like hell no that's weird mm. um but now i'm like yeah sure why not because who knows what it's gonna lead to so
Let's go. Right. You know. Hmm. Interesting. But I, yeah, but I really don't know anything. You know, I'm like, right. I'm just out here flailing. You know, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Chicken with its head cut off kind of thing. Right. And yeah, such is the life of an artist, I suppose. Yeah, it's just weird to me. Like, it, I just, I, I wouldn't know how to even begin. But I guess you just got to be there and you got to just see what's there. I suppose if you're in LA, there's there's probably a lot more like opportunities that you could find just by like being outside in the world that uh you wouldn't know about being in Grand Rapids, Michigan like me. Like Yeah, like today I'll I'll give you an example. Today I was at a coffee shop um and I was sitting there writing. I was working on this this thing and I was writing and and, and the a uh, lady behind me um, was sitting there and working on her computer, drinking coffee, and she answers her phone, and she said, Julianne Moore's office, and it's it was Julianne Moore's lead assistant mm. sitting in this coffee shop behind me, right? And, you know, she came up later, and she was like, excuse me, uh, I, I got to use the restroom. Can, can you watch my stuff? And I was like, sure, sure, right? And if I was someone who did something like this, I would, you know, I would go, you're Julianne Moore's assistant. I actually have this script here that I think she'd really like. You think you could pass it on to her after I watched her stuff, right? Yeah. And, you know, you never know. You could be like, hey, you know, a lot of people are going to go, don't do that. That's an asshole move. Yeah, but I mean, like, how many people in the industry are assholes? You know, a lot, some people, you know, but how how do you get ahead in life? You kind of have to be an asshole at some point in some way, right? Or you just talk to this person and you interact with her and you know, who knows what happens, but it's like, you know, there, there's a door that someone might've taken or a path that someone might've taken right there. But it's like, I'm not that person. I would never be that person because I respect this person's privacy too much, you know, to, to, to go, Hey, uh, you know, do this thing for me or, mm -hmm. you know, their, their time and their energy or the boundaries that you have. But like some people aren't like that. There are some people, you know, like the person at um, viewing for Pearl, uh, who's, uh, I forget what viewing it was, but it was for Pearl. And they, in the middle of the Q and a asked Mia Goth if they would, if, if she would read their script and she got up and, and took the script from them. And, and they got a script to her and it's like that's what it kind of requires out here to some degree you know is like you find an opportunity and you got to jump on it and you got to kind of ignore the fact that you look like an asshole to everyone else yeah I, I mean there's ways to be polite about that too right because sure it is yeah. like you know you can say you know to to julianne moore's assistant you can be like look i understand People are going to, you know, people say, ask you stuff all the time when they figure out, you know, who you are and who you're connected to. But I feel like I should probably also be that guy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've, you know, the self-deprecating sort of thing. And it wasn't Julianne Moore's assistant. I just made up Julianne Moore's name. It was another name, but I'm just doing the thing where it's like the further I can remove fact from what's going on, the, the better I feel it is for the people involved. You know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, there's such a 
these people are hounded all the time, you know, that it's like, if, if, you know, if you can just like make it so that, the, and I know you sign up for this, that life when you sign up for that life, mm -hmm. but you know, it's like, you know, you know, I, th I think people are very unhealthy with their interactions with celebrities and their, I their parasocial relationships with the celebrity, you know, that like, yeah. I do not want to be responsible for, you know, you know, anyone going, Oh, Julianne Moore's assistant goes to this coffee shop. I'm going to go to every coffee shop and not that anyone would, but you know, yeah, no, I appreciate but, that. You know, you don't want to, you don't need to contribute to the harm going on in the world. If you can help it. I dig that. Sure. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious. Um, I feel like this is such a silly question now. I feel like we're really reeling it back to the beginning. Um, I'm very curious about like who your sort of main uh, screenwriting and directorial voices that you pull from a lot are. Um, no, I don't think that's pulling. We're not. We're not going back. That's that's that's. Yeah, I feel like that's. I don't know. Kind of feels like a natural progression. So, hmm. but I'll I'll say. Uh, I don't know, you know. I don't really know. I know Paul Thomas Anderson's my my big my big big influence in in you know film, but I don't know that he's the big influence in like sort of my the voice. But maybe maybe like what I'm tr what what I kind of want to do and and how I want to proceed. I mean, Charlie Kaufman screenwriting wise is like he does you know. He's interesting and I feel like his earlier scripts are sort of like really in line with what I kind of how I want to be presented. Um, uh, Patty Chayefsky, who wrote Network and Altered States, mm. that's a screenwriter that I'm like, great. I, I, I'm 100% in line with this person. Um, uh, screenwriting wise you know this and then directing and screenwriting and all that is like safty brothers and cronenberg and 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 um um joel petroikas um and uh you know i don't know go goofy shit um freaked freaked is a huge movie influence for me and i think tom stern and alex winters wrote that together and that's like one of those movies that's like if i could do anything that captures this vibe i would mm -hmm. um and uh um you know Werner herzog uh, is another huge influence from for me um harmony Corinne. Mm -hmm. um those are influences but like you know um the screenplays I write, I feel like are really different than what I put out otherwise, you know, like the screenplay that I think I'm, the screenplay I think I have that's the strongest uh, that I feel like someone better take it now. Uh, someone should take it now. It, it's, it's, it's just, it's like, it's unforgiven. Mm the revenant and unforgiven and 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 like 
that's all it is. You know, it's like that kind of vibe. There's no, you know, there's, there's sort of like my sort of take on it and the weirdness that I kind of like, like and gravitate towards, but you know, it's a very like, I don't want to say commercial, but it's a very, it's not, it's not Harmony Corinne. Mm -hmm. It's not Cronenberg, you know, um, the script that I won the Humanitas for, I think a lot of people having read, you know, if they read my stuff, if they read this script, they would be really surprised that it was something I wrote because it's like kind of a really like sweet and nice story mm -hmm. um, with no aggro. There's no aggro to it whatsoever. It's like no aggro whatsoever. It's the most positive story that I could ever do, but it's a weird concept. It's a 33 year old dude whose dad is a TV VCR. Uh, and, and they go on a road trip together and, um, so it's like, I feel like my screenwriting things are way outside of what, like my other things are, uh, styles and influences and things like that. Why do you think that is? I have them as two different sort of modes in my mind and I try and keep them as different. Um, screenwriting is more of like a logical thing to me mm. where I, 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 I have to outline and I can see the pieces and I can put them together and I can form it and I can make it the way I want. I can do this. Whereas like, I, I kind of like have, um, I have what I find important in movies, which is like watchability, which is like logical progressions of things, you know, the Aristotle's poetics, the unity of time and space and all that stuff. It's like, those things are really important to me when I'm watching a movie. Um, and you can, you can like go outside and make do weird stuff, but it's like, I gotta, I gotta be able to follow what you're doing here. Mm. And if your script doesn't feel like something that was written with that following in mind, it just feels like it was something that was like kind of farted out. Then I kind of like get, uninvolved and but with stories and novels and things like that i'm all i like my writing process but also the things i like to read is like let's fart this out let's go you know um and uh and i think it's easier for me to keep those separate so that you know i don't go down the hole of expansion and 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 sort of the things that don't work in screenwriting, but that work in novels and I have to keep them separate. So I kind of have separate, you know, ideas and thoughts and influences. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, that's one of the things <clears throat> I guess that I kind of really appreciated about mustard is that, um, it starts out pretty, I don't know. I'll say disjointed, but I mean it uh, non-derogatorily. There's a, there's a lot of ideas that are are kind of put out in the first act-ish area um, that feel like a lot of different things. I think also, and I I didn't think I didn't know how many people would be interested in it, so I, I held myself off from talking about the color grading in the film. Um, but anyway, a lot of different things are happening at the beginning. Um, 
it feels sort of twee it feels sort of drama feels sort of horror um and then and then by the end of it a lot of those things have come back um and resolved in in a way that feels like um like you're doing what you say you're doing with with screenwriting one of the things a fiction professor told me is that think about things as like opening and closing doors and so at the beginning of mustard a whole bunch of doors are opened but by the end they are closed sufficiently that i don't say but wait what was that shot um like um it's a it's a silly film and it's bewildering yeah. but it's competent um even if it doesn't necessarily want you to think it is um which is where i was co coming from with the with the color grading i didn't know if that was like a practical thing or if you were um just sort of kind of adding that extra delirium to it no that was that was definitely a like an awareness uh i had you know i definitely had I love good color grading, love it, love it. And so I kind of, you know, tweaking things here and there. And when things are unreal, they're a little unreal. When things are real, they're a little mundane. When things are boring, they're a little boring. When things are, you know, and so it's, there's definitely a, you know, and the degrading of the film, the look of the degrading, you know, especially at the end with the garage in the, in the sort of hellscape zone you know there's a degraded aspect to it that you know it looks it looks you know it, it, bad and and stuff and um but yeah i i just the whole movie i wanted you know it's a funnel right it's a funnel where you know it all just comes down to this like singular sort of moment kind of thing and then after that singular moment it explodes a little bit but it doesn't start at the funnel it starts as like the the trash being poured into the funnel so you're starting like dropping with all this garbage and then it goes in and comes down to a point and stuff like that and you know um it's good to hear that that it does come back you know because like that was the intention is that there's a lot of stuff that's set up that does have a payoff if you sit with it that does have closure that does have sort of i don't want to say meaning but like you know it has it has a purpose of being in there there's I can't, I, there's nothing really that isn't a joke that's paid off that I put in there. I tried to pay off every joke that I set up or every bit I set up has some kind of payoff, you know, um, or it comes back in a way that changes it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, if you see one thing, the next time you see it, it's something different, um, you know, and, and yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, the more, I, the more I think about it, the more kind of excited I get about it. I, I like, there's a couple stories I've written where, um, I don't, where, where during the writing, I did not take myself nearly as seriously as I normally do. Um, and like threw in a bunch of references and just did a whole bunch of different silly things. And and there's something about those stories that does feel so good. Um, mm -hmm. And Mustard feels like that too. Where it's like... It's saying so many different things. 
um about about a bunch about movies and and people and like it, it really did kind of feel like a movie that was a commentary on a bunch of different kinds of movies um which i really enjoyed um and yeah it's just it's always nice to see someone do something that's kind of like what what you're doing or wondering about or thinking about and see it um turn out successfully because then it gives you permission to to kind of go deeper into that um that's that's one of the things i like about this show so much is that like oh somebody really went for it with in this direction um yeah and yeah that's what i wanted that's what i wanted to do is that it's just like it's one of those things where it's like i don't you know, I think anyone can make a movie if they want to make a movie. And like, I was kind of like, I always say that. And I was like, yeah, but you haven't. And so I was like, well, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try it. Right. And then it's like, you know, this idea that you have to spend money on a movie or you have to do something. Right. And it's like, it's not a great movie. Right. It's nothing that I would like go, you know, I would, I would go toe to toe with like, you know, I don't know uh, anything with, you know, I would not go toe to toe with anyone with uh, uh, with mustard, right? And that's, and that's fine. But like, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just one of those things where it's like, I I think you can do a lot more with what you want to do and and the stories you want to tell or the movie you want to make and just do whatever you want. And like, if you do it in a way that's like partially entertaining, people will watch it. People will enjoy it. I think the big thing for me is that my sound was okay because I think the thing that'll take me out of uh, anything is bad sound. So I was like, is it, does it sound okay? Okay. We're good. You know, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, I don't know. I don't know what I was getting at, but that's, you know, um, yeah, the sound was good. Freedom and, <laughs> and freedom. There, there were moments there with sound where I was like, "Oh, he's just doing man on the street. He's he's out in public oh, yeah. getting filmed doing things." Um, and that, I, mean, I, I wanted to do so much more of that. Mm. And oh. and to the point where I'm trying to to work on, I'm trying to write something else that's a movie of nothing but that. Mm. A movie of nothing but man on the street stuff uh, and interacting with people. Because when I was out there looking for, you know, the doing that, doing on Hollywood, I, the guy I talked to, I he was like laughing and stuff, but I made him very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and I was extremely uncomfortable, right? And there was like, there was a couple, you can see them looking at me. They were, they could see what I was doing and they were like, eh, you know, and there was one guy who was he's talk, trying to get bus tours, trying to get people to join bus tours. He was looking at me and he knew what I was doing, trying to do, you know, uh, and he was like, eh, you know, um, then, uh, yeah, so it was like, you get, you get a whole different vibe out there with that kind of stuff. Uh, and, um. Even that that little bit in Seven Eleven where I asked the guy what time it is, to me that was really funny because like, you know, he was like, 
it, it felt like a bit, it felt like a bit that we had rehearsed for a minute, but it was just spontaneous, you know? And then I ran off out of the store, you know, saying like, Oh shit, I'm late. And I run off. And that guy was, you know, he was thoroughly confused and, and the relationship that I had with that man, every time I went back into that Seven Eleven, was never the same after that. And it was very funny. It was very funny to me. Yeah. It, oh, Oh, that gives me just as much anxiety as the thought of people who are just living out in LA saying they're screenwriters who don't have a, a feature in their desk somewhere. Just, oh, yeah. God, I can't imagine which I would rather do uh, less. Oh. Um, so I respect you for it because, oh boy, <laughs> that's something I would have, you know, been like super into when I was like 16. Um, but now that I have to like, understand that i'm part of uh, a society i i feel like i'd have a hard time with that um so we're, we're it was extremely uncomfortable yeah well good i'm glad it it's, was because it yes it felt uncomfortable um and can i was the road rage bit was that did you put real 100% actual situation? Some guy, the, the, the situation that I filmed that guy screaming at me was not, you know, the, the beginning bit, right? The mm -hmm. beginning, the, the, what, you know, me going pull over and all that stuff. That was something I added after this incident happened, but the filming, the road rage. Yeah, that's 100% real. This dude, uh, this guy, um, was trying to pass me while going through, you know, one of the canyons, uh, over here. I, I want to say it was, uh, Laurel Canyon, maybe. I don't know. He was trying to pass me, but it's a one lane and there's cars in front of me and he was getting so mad. And when he finally passed me, he had pulled on a, uh, he had pulled on a balaclava or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Balaclava. Yeah. Yeah. And, and pointed something at me and it, it, it looked like a gun, right? I'm pretty sure it was a, it was a handgun of some kind. And uh, it made me very mad. And so uh, he pulled into a tanning salon and I followed him and uh, I, he got out and I got out and I just started calling him a dumbass and a bitch. And he started calling me a dumbass and a bitch. And um, we yelled at each other for about 15 minutes in front of these like uh, Middle Eastern dudes on their lunch break, having a cigarette. And they were just watching us laughing and me and this guy were screaming at each other. And, um, and I filmed it. And I filmed the whole thing. Um, so there's like actually like a seven minute edit of that argument. Um, and then the guy goes into the tanning salon and I just leave. And that was, uh, yeah, it, it was real. Uh, very awkward, but I knew I was going to do something with that. I knew I was going to keep that footage and use it for some reason. So. Perfect. And that's the end. <laughs> Oh, that, oh man. Well, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad he didn't murder you. Uh, yeah, it was just a young guy. And now thinking back on it, I, it might, it probably was just his wallet hmm. that he has perfected the art of holding a wallet to look like a gun to intimidate people who aren't from Texas and have had guns pointed at them multiple times, you hmm. know? Um, and you know, he was a young guy and he was like goofy and he was like shaking the whole time. He was like getting mad at me and stuff like that. It was like, it was a, you know, it was just a stupid event. And, you know, um, I don't know. 
I, I was having, you know, at that time I was having sort of a little bit of a nervous breakdown. So I was, I was pretty angry. So the, the road rage entered that, you know, I'm not, I don't look at that with pride. I don't look at that with happiness or joy or anything like that. But I look at it as material that I got. And I'm glad I got it. Yeah. Would I do that today? No. No. All right. Um, so this is a story from Violet Candy. It's called Hurt People, Hurt People. Um, and it goes like this. You've got a thing inside you. It grows like a weed but screams. Hate things you shouldn't. You have a partner, a kid, a place to live, a good job. Even time for you to pursue hobbies. Things are good. Except you're miserable. You find ways to make others miserable. Locking yourself in a room during the day. Spending nights driving around the city alone. Being with your family feels like a chore you never want to do. Your dad used to do things like this. One day you find herbicide in your garage and take a drink. It's a small sip, but you get big sick. Vomit, dehydration. Out for days. Your partner takes care of you and you recover. But something about the pressure, the pain, and the otherness of being sick mutes the weed. Stops it from growing. You think you've killed it. Things start to feel good, balanced. Days aren't always all bad. You want to stay. You play house very well. Take your partner on dates, go down on them most nights. You cook lunch and dinner peacefully instead of slamming things like usual. You take your kid to one of those on-ice shows and you'll have fun. But it doesn't last. The weed grows back. You feel its roots crawling around, spiky fibers dragging against your cortex. You wait for your partner to take your kid to dance practice. You go to the garage and take another sip of herbicide, this one bigger. The sickness strikes you down like a biblical plague. You sweat, convulse, everything goes black. You wake up days later in bed. Your partner tells you they almost took you to the hospital, that you had a seizure in the night. You say, it's nothing, it's just a thing. You finally tell your partner about your dad, how you're acting more like him now than you ever have. You also tell her about how he killed himself, car in the garage, how he blamed it on you and your mom. Through tears, you tell her you don't want to be like him. She says, you won't, you aren't, you never will be. The goodness returns. It doesn't come easy, but you let it flow. At times, you forget to cherish it, but you always find a way to remind yourself it's there, and everyone lives happily ever after. Until the ever after ends and the weed reinvents itself. Roots that dig deep, stalks coated in thorny anchors, flowers spreading toxic pollen. This time you don't wait. You go to the garage, take a big swig of herbicide. You get sick, end up in the hospital. A coma you wake up from a month later. Some organs fail while you're asleep. Only this time when you wake, the warmth isn't there. The weed has spread into your eyes and throat on its way to your heart. Makes noise you've never heard before. Screeching laughter that only registers in the frequencies weeds can hear. The laugh brings the misery back. Worse. Within a month, your partner threatens to leave. Your kids hate you more than a kid's allowed to. And the part of you that cares is starting to lose the battle against the part of you that doesn't. You know another sip won't be enough. You need more. You must stop the weed from spreading. Your partner walks in as you've got the bottle tilted back, chemicals guzzling down your throat. You swallow, try letting them know 
what you're doing. You only want what comes after the sick. But they already know. Their eyes say this. They don't stop you. They wait for you to drink the herbicide, put it into that thing inside you, because it's for the best. Thank you.